Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of The Talking Company. On this episode, Jalen and I had the pleasure of interviewing a 1994 Johnny graduate who found his way back to St. John's and has been teaching finance over the past 10 years. This individual has been around the world and back. He has worked in Washington with the SEC, and he even worked on Wall Street for a number of years. In this podcast, Jalen and I uncover a guest's experiences in traveling the world, the books he has already written and the ones he plans to write, and we're even lucky enough to receive some valuable information that anybody can benefit from. For the record, the three of us experienced some technical difficulties in the middle of the episode, so we apologize for the mid-flight turbulence. And finally, it is a great honor to introduce this very special guest, Mr. Bob Bell. Enjoy the episode. Um, when we bought it, though, it was like, it was an deal. investment. Like, oh my god. Like, no, less than that. It, it was, was like, 500 for the set. But it was like 200. Wasn't it five? It like, nah, dude. It was like, oh, I think it was. It was, it was up well, between the two of us. I know, look at my account. I was like, Johnny, if we do this, bro, <laughs> it's like, I'm you gotta go all in. You, know? <laughs> so you guys aren't accepting any money. You gotta, how are you going to make your return on your investment? Uh, so that, that takes time. Yeah. I don't yeah. know stuff like this. <laughs> well, but if you're not doing anything for it, it's never going to happen. What are you doing to make any return? So, right, that's what we're doing by building our brand on social media mm-hmm. right now. Because you can't just ask right off the bat, I feel like. that people's like, oh, okay, they're, they're doing this just for money. You know what I mean? But I feel like it's just... just... everybody does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I personally want to put out a product that's worth, you know, monetizing. Uh-huh. And I think we got to get there first. Okay. And yeah. part of that is, is, you know, getting your microphone stands and, and getting quality content that people uh-huh. listen to. I, that's valid. I said to Boz, uh, you know, and, and I'm known for giving a lot of advice, but don't really ask for it mm-hmm. anyway. But uh, but no, I think it makes you sound more legitimate. Like you could go to Gary's and say, Gary's, if you just give me a free pizza, we'll advertise for you. Then you can sit on there. Right. Uh, sponsored by Gary's Pizza. More legit. Yeah. For sure. They give you a p- pizza, so you got sponsored for something. Yeah, right. That's a good idea. You know, reaching out to yeah. local companies and whatnot. Like we're thinking because, like, I don't know. For me, I don't know. Like a couple of people are like this. Like when you when they hear ads, like, uh, you know, like another ad. So like, I feel like you know, getting like, we want to have like have this have meaning for people. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? We want people to like all come on this journey with us. You know, we don't want them to be you know half in or half out. It's like because we really feel like what we're trying to like preach here. It's like a whole culture. You know what I mean? I, I want to flip or you know change the way people think oh shoot sorry it is really quiet just because um i don't know like i see it in our school a little bit and i just see it around and it's just like people who are uncertain about other people you know um that's why there's so much hate and so much you know divide you know what i mean and like all they have to do is just like literally just get to know them but they don't want to get to know them because, you know, they're good, like, where they're at. Like, you know how people, like, they don't like being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I always say be comfortable being uncomfortable just right. because that's how you grow as a person. Right. You know what I mean? So by doing this, I feel like, and, like, dude, I just, Charlie, you know Charlie Tuco? Yeah, I had cancer. Yeah. 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 So. Had a class. Charles is a good man. Really? He is a good man. Oh, yeah. He's my roommate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He lives like right below us, or below me. Uh, and um, his interview, that's when I first realized I was like, dude, like, this is like, this is it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because he came on and he put his, 
you know, all his cancer stuff out there and, like, made it relate to other people. Mm -hmm. Like, afterwards, dude, like, I got goosebumps. And, like, that never happens. I'm like, okay. Like, people want to, like, express their story. They want to be heard. You know what I mean? So I feel like that's what we just focused on. Charlie Storm said, sponsored by (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah. I guess it could work. Right, for sure. So I suppose we'll start this one just like we do any other episode. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself, Bob? My name is Bob Bell. Maybe uh, I use your audience a lot of St. Ben St. John's. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, to start off with probably the most important point that I, I'm a Johnny. Um, graduated in 1994, um, majored in accounting, and worked in various industries. Came back in, ooh, what was that? Uh, 2010. 2010. And I'm in my 10th year of teaching, and I actually am now a faculty resident on Mary 2 with first years. I'm the second or third maybe ever non-monastic on a first year floor. Oh, yeah. Is that right? I didn't know. I suppose, because I didn't go here my first year. So Uh, how does that work? Who else gets the exception? uh, Well, I think think this is good company to be in. Stephen B. Humphreys. Oh, yeah? was not a monk. Wow. uh, He's got a building name after him. And yeah. That's all I care about. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. That's um, pretty neat. So it was just one of those things. I do think I I know a lot of these uh, monks. I have, you know, good friendships and I've known them for a while. And I wanted to try this faculty resident program. And I think uh, really there was a first year floor availability. So they mm-hmm. thought they'd give me a shot. Uh, I think in some respects... Uh, no monk really wanted to do it at yeah. the time. And so they, they said, well, we got somebody crazy enough to get a shot. So that's how I ended up there. I'm in my third year. You know, uh, it's a lot of work. Sometimes you get some yeah. very serious issues, uh, but I feel like I'm at the right place. And I feel like I'm at least in a position to, to make a difference. And I think I have a few times. Right. That's pretty neat. Well, do you have close relationships with a lot of your students? You know, uh, I try to. Um, things get busy, unfortunately. As any FR would tell you, sometimes you get to know uh, the students for the wrong reasons. Yeah. You know, they're in trouble. <laughs> um, but that's an opportunity. You know, everybody makes a mistake uh, or mistakes. And uh, so, you know, that's part of my story here, too. I was going to be kicked out as a first year. Um, I would made enough mistakes or maybe... They weren't clear enough with the rules. We'll put it. I buy into that. Yeah. yeah. You know, no, I'm kidding. It's, all <laughs> um, it's and, not your fault. You know, no, just, just like Jalen said, that's for sure. But uh, you know, so I got another opportunity. Life is about you know, hopefully not, not making the same mistakes twice, but uh, learning from those and growing. And as long as people know you're trying, and that's what I try to do for a lot of these first years to make a mistake. You know, um, and so, yeah, but I try to get to know as, mm-hmm. as many as possible, and I have met, made some good uh, friendships along the That's way. That's neat, for sure. So, uh, right around Thanksgiving, you were talking to our class about how you spend Thanksgiving with the monks. Uh-huh. What is that like? I was curious. So, it all happened back when I was a student, actually, because I'm originally from Pensacola, Florida, so I don't have family okay. all around here. So, and, so you decided to stay out here in the cold for suffer during winter? I never owned a real uh, jacket or pair of gloves before I came here. Oh, yeah. When sure. I was That's growing crazy. up, it kind of snowed twice, and we literally put sweat 
socks on her hands. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, yeah, right. One of the windows was covered with frost, um, but we thought it was snow. It was really just ice. <laughs> Yeah. We made a, like an ice ball. And we threw it at each other. And the first time one hit me, I was kind of like, those kids up north are pretty tough. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing <laughs> ice balls ice around. Ball. <laughs> um, but yeah, so because I didn't have family here, I was supposed to be going to a friend's um, for Thanksgiving. But we had a really bad snowstorm. <clears throat> and my FR at the time, I was living on Bennett too, was Tim Backus. Father Tim. Tim oh, well, I think I know his son. Probably Chris Backus. No, that's Karen Backus's. Oh, okay. <laughs> is a priest, and so I kind of hope he doesn't have any. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but uh, so Timo asked me because he knew I was stranded on campus from snow to come down and uh, and have dinner with the monks. And I'll admit, yeah, just like you're asking me right now, what was it like? Yeah. you know, I was a little nervous. <laughs> um, but it was these guys were down there just having a great time. Uh, some wine was flowing. It's great food. Everybody's laughing. It was just like awesome. anyone else's Thanksgiving. And afterwards, we have all these uh, sweets and everything like that. And so uh, I just felt very welcomed. I think at that point, I was the only non-monastic there. Um, and then I think, you know, maybe the next year, I ended up doing it by choice. Even when I lived in the cities, I came up and, and had Thanksgiving with the monks. And I think I've had every Thanksgiving with the monks since I've been back. And so that's kind of, you know, a big part of my family as well. But, you know, uh, they're just regular guys. They're just, right. you know, yeah. regular guys. And and, uh, and you have your wide disparity of personalities the same as you do at your Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah, I haven't really gotten to know any monks. I know because my FR, he, he's either year. I lived in Bonnie last year. He um, wasn't a monk. Uh, and now I'm in Vincent. Yeah. Or, or not Matt. in this one, I'm sorry, Matt. Matt. Uh, and Pat is studying Pat theology. Martin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's getting a, a master's in, in uh, at the School of Theology. Sure, and, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's he's uh, not engaged, but he has a serious girlfriend. I oh, is that right? <laughs> so I don't think he's going the monastic route. Okay, sure. Yeah, no, it's uh, Pat's a good dude. Do you know him very well? I do, in that, uh, so my, I got tenure in 2016. Um, and that means uh, you can also apply to get a sabbatical sure. uh, where you take time off, you're supposed to do research on an area. And I traveled the world for a year. Um, I took uh, two bennies with me as my caregivers. I actually uh, first tried to get Johnny's, but I couldn't get anybody really oh, yeah. to do it for the right reasons. You know, I wanted them to also want to help people with disabilities and hopefully help, uh, help continue to do that with their career. Um, and so, but I ended up taking these two bennies with me and we went to 20 countries, uh, in 12 and a half months. And we stayed in Benedictine monasteries in 14 different countries. That's uh, crazy. And so I got to know Pat when we were in Hunga in Tanzania. That's where he was in the BBC, the Benedictine Volunteer Corps. Okay. And he spent a year in Hunga. Oh yeah, he did. Um, He's talking about that. So you met Pat. In Hunga. I not, know, not knowing. I, I maybe had met him at a dinner or something, but no, I didn't know him. And uh, he graduated the same. So I took two Bennies who had just graduated, Piper Murray and Hannah Gerbata. And um, so they knew Pat from from graduating with him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, uh, Hunga is actually the same monastery, if you know Father Nick Clusby and then Father Luke Roby. 
Uh, if you ever go to the student mass, Father Nick is the one who does the student mass. Okay. Um, but they both spent, did their BBCs in Hanga, and that's where they felt like they got their calling to become priests. And uh, probably secretly they hoped that would work out for Pat as well. Yeah. And you, you never know. Pat said if he's still single at 40 or something, he's mm-hmm. going to come up. <laughs> sure. Um, gotcha. Yes, yeah, so that's where I got to know Pat. Uh, in Hanga. That's super neat. That's small world, really. What what was he doing out there? With the Benedictine B- Volunteer Corps is yeah an opportunity for Johnnies to want to volunteer. Uh, there is one domestic site where they go to Newark, New Jersey. Okay. Um, but the, otherwise, it's international, and it's an opportunity for them to be of service and then also uh, witness a, a monastic community, be a part of it, and uh, and that's what we kind of did ourselves at those 14 different countries. I hope to write a book about it. I've written about half the book and then life gets you busy, but mm-hmm. it's an opportunity I hope to realize, you know, we all hear about Benedictine hospitality. Um, that's in the rule of St. Benedict, chapter 53. And it says to treat all visitors like Christ. So this is part of, you know, who they are when they become Benedictines. And it's part of who we are as Johnnies and Bennies. But most of these monasteries have guest houses. You know, they build it for people to come visit. It's almost like, uh, what's that, Field of Dreams, you know, mm-hmm. build it and they will come. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did, I felt like most places we stayed, we were never not able to stay there because they were so busy. Sure. So not as many people are coming as they, I think, anticipated, but it's a way for you to go to uh, be part of their community. You can do it very inexpensively. Yeah, because um, it's free, right? Just it's not required. Um, like a tip, right? Well, you, you're thinking of the guest house here. Oh, okay. The guest house here, so you can different? walk in and stay and then leave them a dollar um, because they have a suggested <laughs> That's another. price. Yeah, okay. sure. Um, and I think uh, I think many Benedictines would tell you that that's true at their site around the world as well. If you can't afford it, it's a suggested price. Um, but the example I always give, so there's another site in a, in Tanzania called Amiliwaha, and that's the home of 400 sisters. Oh, it's, about, yeah. it's about four hours away from Hanga, um, where, where I met Pat. And so the first time uh, Hannah Piper and I went to Amiliwaha, we stayed there for three weeks. So remember, I'm paying for everything. Mm-hmm. So I pay right. for three separate rooms with three separate showers. We stayed for three weeks. We got three meals a day. And you know how much I paid for that whole experience? $300. Is that right? You know, basically $100 a person. Yeah. For wow. three, weeks. three weeks. And it was basically having 400 grandmothers and mothers just doting. Oh. Yeah. So you got to be a part of their community. And they also had ways to be of service. Uh, they had a clinic there. Hannah's a, uh, is a nursing major. She was able to help in the clinic. Um, there's also a school. They also have fields and stuff you can work out. Um, and then there was also an orphanage. And, uh, and so we were able to help in the orphanage as well. So most of these places you can go, be of service, help the community, travel, and do it very inexpensively. And I hope to, to write a book about it so more people, but especially Johnny's and Benny's, know this opportunity is out there. That's super neat. And you yeah. did this for a whole year. Twelve and a half months. Twelve yeah. and a half months. So what was the, um, <clears throat> not really like the best place, I guess you could, it could be your best place, but the best experience you've had, like you volunteered somewhere and you're like, 
man, like that kind of uh-huh. flipped the switch for me or like changed you. And that's, it, it all depends on how you phrase that question. Because True. some people say, what was the best? You know, what's the yeah. best country? But the way you phrased it was the best volunteer experience. Yeah. And so for that one, I would say going to Nairobi, um, Nairobi, Kenya. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, we stayed in a monastery where I think some of the square one people have yeah, stayed. Yeah, before. we go. That's where we're there uh, focusing. Yeah. In Kenya, that Nairobi. And I think I had a small part to play. And when I came back from my sabbatical, they asked me, what did you see out there in the world that was really cool? And I told them about Nairobi. Because you get to be a part of this community. Um, the monastic, the monk present there isn't as substantial as there's uh, some sisters right next door to this place. <laughs> They're amazing. But you're also a walking distance away from, I think, uh, the largest, not one of the uh, largest um, slums in the world. It's called Mathari. Yeah. And it is so dramatic. And there's so much need there. You know, a typical Western or American philosophy is, oh, I'm going to go there and I'm going to help so much. And you know, it's like, right. post pictures on Instagram. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm such a great person. <laughs> um, but my takeaway from going there is, yeah, uh, you people do it for the wrong reasons. But even if you go there, there is so much need there that you actually are helpful. And if everybody just does a little, it's better than doing nothing. Right. And uh, so I felt like as far as if you want a place you could really go, they have a clinic there, they have a school there. They have the slums there. There is so much need there um, that, that that would be my answer to that one. Nice. How about you, Todd? Check, check, check. Oh, yeah. Check one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm going to apologize right, cool. to the listeners once we're back. <laughs> so picking up where we were before. Uh, you were For talking. all the listeners, if you can hear me now, we're, we're working out some mic problems. Uh, <laughs> Thanks to Gary's for support. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Gary's supporting our mics if they would give us a little more money. Yeah, no, that'd be nice. Thanks, mm-hmm. Gary's. Uh, but talking about your um, your book that you've been writing, that you've been working on now, uh-huh. um, like you, we've said before, you've got your first book. Um, I, I'm sorry, Bob, I haven't read it. <laughs> but I know I'm not going to pass the class. Jaden uh-huh. would tell me I should read it. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but unmoving forward, could you tell the audience a little bit about what went into the writing of that book? Sure. Um, it is not about accounting and finance. It is about, I, I think the title <laughs> that's is... That's uh, a big that's clear. Yeah, make that <laughs> clear because everybody no, already tuned, tuned off. And everybody's, <laughs> Claire, i got to get that new accounting and finance <laughs> book. It's what I wanted for Christmas. Um <laughs> But no, it's called uh, Unmoving Four, which is a terrible title. Um, if you can figure out what it's from uh, f- by reading it, you know, then you're halfway there. But mm-hmm. uh, I chose the title. and But it's called Tales and Tips for Facing Life's Challenges. Oh. So I think in there I have maybe nine explicit tips and then in between are a bunch of stories. But it really had to do with what I had learned. Um, I just celebrated my 30th year of being in a wheelchair november 21st was 30 years i like how you use the word celebrating celebrate well you know uh it's uh it's a different path than i thought i would be but you know you gotta uh there's a lot of people that didn't make it this far and a lot of people that have it much worse and you know i try to be appreciative for what i do have and um and when i wrote this book i guess it was in 2014 so you know at about 25 years in um and it's just about what I learned about facing the challenges that I have. And it's, there's not one 
recipe, not one thing that works every time. And so that's what I wrote, you know, um, how I deal with my challenges and how what's helped me through. People have read it and uh, felt like it. some of it helped them. And in many ways, those few who read it might say, this guy, I don't know if he should really be teaching accounting. He probably shouldn't even be teaching anywhere. But I, I, uh, I wrote it by channeling really my 19-year-old self. So I was injured when I was 19. And you wrote this when? Uh, it came out in 2014. 2014. And so, but I wanted to chant, the, the, the reason why I wrote it in what some would say an immature and crass way that I did in that um, I think it's 80% of people that get spinal cord injuries are male and they're usually between the ages of 17 and 24. Why? Because males do stupid stuff, end up injuring themselves and I needed that book when I was in the hospital, when I was newly injured. Mm. And so if, if you don't feel like you're the best writer in the world, and at times I felt like I was rereading my own writing, going, this is horrible. I don't even like reading it. Why would, oh, why would yeah. someone? So you need a reason to get through the process. And for me, if I had one audience, it was a newly injured spinal cord person. Now, of course, I tried to spin it out to people that face a variety of other problems, right. uh, other like challenges. Focus was well, the... it's just at its core when I wanted to stop writing and say this is is, is not it's useless because it's so bad um, <laughs> that that helped me. But it, again, it, I spread it out to facing anyone chasing uh, facing a challenge from divorce or or eating disorders, or, you know, uh, anxiety. I wanted it to apply to a wide audience. And then also to Johnny's and Benny's, you know, that's my family as well. Um, and, um, and so that's how the, the why I wrote it and the way I wrote it. Sure. Hmm. So I'm definitely going to, well, what, you can buy it on Barnes & Noble? No, do we tell you? Amazon, <laughs> Amazon is the devil, I told you. <laughs> I get, literally get like 10 cents. So you go to Bob. Oh, yeah. BobBellBooks.com. All right. Or okay. stop by and see me. So um, Amazon's the devil? It so is like... a devil because they just take all the money. I mean, they, I think I, they get 70% um, of and your, then my pub, of your product. Of my book. They get 70%. My publisher gets like, you know, another 25%. Wow. And then I may, I literally get pennies on the, on each sale. That's wow. ridiculous. Yeah. And Amazon so, is the devil, huh? They really, they, wow. you know, so you got to be out there. But anybody who's ever read it off Amazon, and then it's even worse because that's if they buy it new. Now, if they buy oh, it used, used, I don't think I get any. You don't think, yeah, not um, anything. Second and hand. so I think on, somebody looked the that's other legal, day. isn't it? No, you buy, most people buy used books on Amazon. Okay, yeah, yeah. Lame which, question, lame question. Which, uh, <laughs> which was funny because when it first came out, I gave it to like, I sent a copy to my mom, I sent a copy to my sister, and then Amazon posted it. And right away, you see there's some used copies on there. Wow. So since my mom didn't even know how to use the internet, I'm like, my mom sold it. <laughs> but really what was funny is they posted used copies, and students, when it came out, I was, of course, telling them to come by and get it from me. And they said, oh, I'm sorry, I was just in a hurry. I bought it used on Amazon, and guess what? The price was higher for used than it was for, for new. new? Oh so God. they just wow. know, I think, that the students are just so used to clicking on used. Yeah. And wow. it was only a few cents more, uh, but it was like... But still, yeah. like, dang. So, but yeah, it, it is on Amazon, uh, but I have my own website, but I still have tons of books. Of course, everybody thinks their book is going to 
just blow up. And uh, but I, I'm pleased that I wrote it. I didn't spend as much time editing it, maybe as I should. My publisher was going through some some uh, restructuring, we'll say at the time, and so. But the number of people that I have told me that they found it beneficial, you know, uh, I, I, I'm thrilled it got done, and and I'm moving on to this next book about this sabbatical, mm-hmm. and then this summer I actually hope to travel in West Africa, and uh, and then write a book on that. So I'm wow. I need to get this first book done, and then sure. and this next one will be like a little follow up again of ways to travel, and then I'm going to go to a lot of Benedictine monasteries as well. Mm-hmm. That's super neat. Do you think so after writing your first book, do you think you'll go about writing the second and third ones a little differently? There won't be as uh, many euphem- euphemisms sure. um, to any anatomical parts uh, in this <laughs> one. But some people would say I, I went a little overboard on that and maybe I used yeah. the F-bomb a little bit too much. As far as what I have drafted right now, I, you know, it was a, a 12 and a half month journey and I've written six months of it. So up to uh, I'm just leaving Sri Lanka in the book and so that's about six months of it and the in the second six months some of it was in Europe and uh which is great Europe is wonderful and and uh but as far as some of the life-changing or impactful things it's not quite as much as being in Africa or India and and uh so I think I can get the second half done sooner but yeah I'll write it uh, a little less crass and a little less, sure. few less f bombs, <laughs> which some of my readers will say, "That's terrible! Don't do that." You <laughs> right, know? right. Uh, I guess you can't please everybody. No, you can't. no. So. so I think it's entertaining. Like I'm not a huge reader, but uh-huh. you know, if I go in and I can read something that I can relate to a little bit, just <laughs> because I'm not exactly right. the most clean uh-huh. spoken person, but uh, no, it's uh, that calls for entertainment, and uh, I think and that's, that's when I get to somebody that says. I read your book in a day, or yeah. I read it in a few days. Uh, even though I spent a long, much longer time writing it than that, uh, and you're like, I spent all that time, and they read it in like in five day. hours, yeah. three <laughs> hours. But I did try to make it easily digestible. It's got uh, short. It's broken up. Each chapter is not even that long, but it's broken up a lot because I also envision somebody in a hospital going through a difficult time, whether they're even on pain meds or not sleeping or depression. I wanted them to be able to pick it up and put it down in kind of an easy fashion. Sure. So as your second book or your third book, the third book is going to be focused in Africa, Africa, right? Yeah, West Africa, which I hope to do this summer. And and so you hope, do you have like a a set in stone plan as to where you're going to be bouncing around? No, I mean, I'm working on that. And it will be just West Africa. Okay. Um, and uh, but no, like the last one, it kind of evolved a little bit itself. And and one of the parts of it'll be, you know, even if you didn't go to Benedictine monasteries, you guys would have no idea how to go to Western Africa. Oh, what no, no, what yeah. the visa <laughs> situation is, what countries are safe, what aren't, you know, countries that you've never heard of that you would say, oh, I would have never thought that was cool. And so that, you know, it's one of those things in my other book. Um, we didn't plan on going to the Maldives uh, before. I had never really heard of the Maldives, but that happened on this last trip, the year-long trip. I'd never, I'd heard of Namibia, but never thought Namibia was cool. It's one of the coolest things we did. Um, and there were different uh, things like that along there. I went to uh, Mauritius, uh, the island. Um, and so, Where is that at? It's an island, you would say, off... The it's west of southern Africa. Okay. Um, kind of, you know where Mozambique is? 
Uh, no. <laughs> well, it's further west than Mozambique. Mozambique, I think, is one of the largest islands in the world. Oh, wow. Um, but, uh, see, so it, it was one of those things. That it takes on a life of its own, so I'm starting to do the research now. You have to be safe. I've always wanted to go to uh, Mali, which is where Timbuktu is, mm-hmm. which every redneck wants to say, yeah, I've been yeah. to Timbuktu and back, <laughs> you know. But it's too dangerous, I think. I don't think oh. I can go there. Um, right now, there's I- the ISIS, oh, yeah, um, sure. and um, but Nigeria, uh, I would I'd like to go to. We had some some priests who were on campus for a number of years here that I got to know a little bit, and they're from Nigeria. There's two Benedictine monasteries in Nigeria, and I recently sent them an email and said, "What do you think?" Because there's four levels of risk danger, yeah. danger. Um, and and one is totally safe two is just be careful three is do you really need to go this isn't very safe and then four is just don't go um and this is at three um the third level at the state department but i sent this priestess from from nigeria and he said no it's totally safe yes you don't go to i think he said the far i can't even remember there's certain areas he said to not go to but there's also if you're not protesting the government and doing bad things I've been in many countries that people say it's too dangerous to go, and it depends on what area you're in. Mm. Um, I mean, most there's some bad areas of the United States you don't want to go in. There's some bad areas in Mexico you don't want to go in. People, you know, uh, go to those countries all the time. Have you ever been a been in a sticky situation while like abroad? So like something was you know you thought something was going one way, but it totally just took another turn. Yeah, I mean, I was in Zimbabwe in 2003, and their government was kind of collapsing, and we would uh, be in a car, and you'd pull up to a red light, and you'd see shattered glass all on the street, Mm -hmm. and it was at night, supposedly if you stop for a red light, people just jump out of the bushes, shatter your windshield, and and take uh, anything that's sitting on the passenger seat. Uh, We got pulled over by police, and they tried to harass us to get a bribe out of us. Uh, but really? my buddy was living there, a Johnny Greg Bashman was living there at the time, and he knew a little bit more like how the shakedown worked. So we're sitting there going, "No, we're not giving you any money. What are you, what are you doing to us, guys?" You know, and right. kind of had an attitude that they were a little bit like, "What, what are you thinking?" You know what? <laughs> but this trip I took with these two Bennies, uh, probably the most unsafe I ever felt. We were in in India. And there's a lot of problems you can hear about, like women can't really take a bus in India because men will, you know, uh, assault them, will touch them. And there's a, uh, a celebration called Holy, and you've maybe seen pictures on the internet where people have colored sawdust on them. Um, maybe, yeah. It's, maybe you know, possibly. when that comes out, you'll see it a lot on the internet. Yeah. We were there for Holy, and everybody was telling us, oh, don't go out on the streets. Is it like you Mardi Gras? Know, Kind of like a, a Mardi Gras thing where people do get drunk. They throw this all this different color sawdust on you. Um, but people were saying, don't go out there. The, the guys will assault you know, these two ladies. We ended up going out like 9 in the morning. I mean, really early, just to see what the streets were going to be like. And yeah, young men, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17, would come up and try to start to hug them and get handsy. And other adults, men and women, Indian adult men, would yell at the boys before they even got close by saying, like, no, no, no. Like, it was understood what they were about to do. Right. And, uh, and they're and, young. 
Yeah, yeah, and then also, you know, uh, young men too, as far as nineteen twenty. Uh, and then one time we went to the beach, and guys were coming up to them, act like, "Can I kiss you on the cheek? Can I take your picture?" And getting just swarming them to where we did leave. I wanted to get off the beach. I wanted to get out of there. It's probably the only time of the whole trip uh, that I just felt unsafe. Like this could go like gang mentality. It was out of control, and I'm like, we're leaving right now. India does have a legit problem with that. Sure, that's pretty horrible. Is yeah. that, I mean, I don't know if it, it's like if that would never happen here. You know, uh, well, I mean, you know, people are drunk. Not, not, well, yeah, not to that extent, you know, like where it's you know understood, like you were saying, how it is cultural that people no. know this is going. On. That said, we had a wonderful time in India. Met so many wonderful people, and one of the coolest. Some people just say, give me the coolest thing you saw on the trip. And there's this, uh, a city called Varanasi. Um, and it is the most foreign place I've ever been in my life. Uh, How so? Uh, there's no rules with the traffic. Uh, cars going every which way. People <laughs> everywhere. Cows in the streets. Music, <laughs> sounds. Um just complete mayhem. It's kind of like it's kind of like in the movies, yeah. Like you see, like a mob movies, just a random 10. car yeah. just like driving through everyone. A, a car just going down the wrong way on the interstate, <laughs> right next to a fruit basket going right. You know, somebody pedaling <laughs> with fifteen things carrying on their head, and then there's this uh, what they call the ghats, where if you've maybe seen the stairs go down into a river, it's a very classic picture of India. And so Varanasi is the religious capital, I think, of all of India. And so they think the Ganges River is kind of uh, spiritual and, and it's a religious experience to go there. So people go there to bathe in it. Um, also, there's uh, little kids that are there doing swimming lessons. And then right up the river, literally like 50 yards, 100 yards, they do 24-hour-a-day cremations where there's big fires going, big bonfires. They have people wrapped in gauze and they literally won't two. Three, swing the person right up on the fire, burn them down to their pelvis and their spine. Then a religious person comes up, grabs that off the top of the fire, walks down the water, throws it in the water right there in front of you. The skeleton? The the yeah, the bones from the hips and the and the spine. And that's if you don't die. I think if you die under the age of ten or you die from a snake bite or from leprosy or these other things, then they don't cremate you. They just float you down the river. And we didn't see anybody floating down the river, but supposedly it's not uncommon to see that at all. And again, this is all 100 yards away from little kids doing swimming lessons. Right. You know? I mean, I have, oh, a, I have a dream that, or I'd love to do a documentary where we take like a Johnny or a Benny who's never left the country. Like they're from, you know, mm-hmm. Stearns County or something like that. And then we put them on a plane and then we have them arrive in Varanasi. And then, you know, we all are covered in plastic because it's sooner or later their head is just going to explode. You know, right. it's going to go everywhere. And like, oh, but it'll be amazing to see. For sure, that would be super fun. Getting So that's, you know, honestly, is here's another part of what we do here at the Talking Company is we're trying to expand it past Collegeville. Uh-huh. You know, it's, you know, we feel like a lot of people can be in a bubble at times, and I'm guilty of it too. We live up here and feel trapped uh-huh. a little bit. But, uh-huh. you know, getting stories from outside, from, from beyond to, you know, shed a little light on the uh-huh. rest of the world is kind of what, what we enjoy doing. And we're learning a lot doing it too. So it's been neat. 
Very cool. Thank you so much for having me. No, absolutely. You know, I do have one more question for you. Um, I want to get into a little bit about your time in Washington and the Uh SEC. uh Uh, What was that experience like for you? It was awesome. You know, um, so when I graduated, I worked in public accounting for four years. I was doing tax. Um, Decided I didn't like doing tax returns, but I liked the research side of the writing side. So I went to law school at the University of Minnesota. And when I got done with that, I did want to do some public service. I had worked in this big firm where you had to bill every six minutes of your time. So I was looking for a way I could do public service. And the SEC came on my radar. And uh, I thought, yeah, I'm working for the government. You know, it's not the Peace Corps or anything like that, but you're still uh, taking, you know, I could have made a lot more money going to a firm, but I went to uh, public service, government, moved to Washington. Quality of life was amazing compared to public accounting. I mean, uh, there's some, there are government workers that work 14 hour days and they could easily make a million dollars on the outside, but they're just great public servants. Uh, but there's a lot of truth to it's good enough for government work too. You know, people working eight hour days or their eight hour days, but they're taking a long lunch and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I enjoyed it for a while until even though I think I'm a pretty disciplined guy, I lost my discipline to maybe, it didn't matter if I did an amazing job or a terrible job it kind of got processed the same. And, uh, and I did really like Washington. It's a cool city and, you know, it's accessible with being in a wheelchair and, and the Metro and, but also, uh, working at the SEC, eventually you hear all your colleagues going to work on wall street. Mm-hmm. So you kind of got this little golden ticket in your pocket and you're like, well, maybe I should cash this in and go to, and I'd always wanted to go to New York. And so, uh, that's why I ended up leaving the SEC, you know, the, in the, the, to bring a full circle, when I graduated from, from St. Ben's St. John, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, but when I was in my second year of law school, I did realize I actually drove out to Washington, D.C. to work on Capitol Hill for the summer. I worked for a senator, Senator Bob Graham from Florida. And on that drive out there, I realized I wanted to return to St. Ben's and St. John's and work. That was my goal. And even when I graduated from law school, my mom asked her to give me a St. John's class ring. Mm-hmm. Could have gotten one from the U of M. I could have gotten whatever I asked sure. her to give me. And I, at my party, my graduation party, I told everybody at the party, here's the deal. I'm going to move to Washington, which I had been to. I'm going to move to New York City. I'm going to work on Wall Street. I've never been to New York City. And then I'm going to return to St. Ben's and St. John's and teach within 10 years. I called it my 10-year plan. And uh, I did go to New York. I did do the Wall Street uh, deal, and I made it back here within nine years. That's super crazy. Yeah. I didn't know that that was in the in the plan the whole time. In the plan, documented cool. with my friends. They know I said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> for sure. And do you have any regrets from anything that you've done work wise? No, I mean uh, it's a good question, but you know maybe I stayed too long in public accounting. Um, you know, I tried to leave, should have left maybe earlier if I knew, you know, but I was trying to get into law school. Um, each experience for me was, uh, and it's good th- for people your age to think about, you think you know what you're going to do, but you don't until you try it. So I thought I was going to enjoy public accounting. In my first year, I was like, I'm going to be a partner. And then after a while, I realized this is not fulfilling for me. So I go to law school. Then I go to the SEC. When I got to the SEC, I was like, forget the 10-year plan. I love Washington, D.C. I love working for the government. I feel like I'm doing some good, not killing myself working too hard. After about two years, I was like, no, this isn't you know, fulfilling to me. Um, and then the same deal in New York. Um, went there. I was like, 
I told my friends, forget the 10 year plan. I'm mm-hmm. making money. Right. You know, I got <laughs> tons of food, tons of opportunities. I still love New York city. I miss New York city. I used to miss it every day. Um, and when I first came back here, um, I don't think I was that great of a teacher. If someone say you're sure. still not a great teacher, <laughs> um, but it took me a while, I think to find, you know, my groove, but now I'm in my 10th year and yeah, I love my job. I love what I do. I love where I am in life. And, uh, and that's what I want for, for all of you guys. You got to be deliberate. I have, you know, uh, that little care 11 thing mm-hmm. that I just did, you know, it's, it is, uh, I have a deal every single morning that it takes me, you know, it can take me over two hours to get out of bed some days. Uh, it takes me an hour, uh, or so at night to go to bed. So every day I have to think about, is this worth it? Kind of help me to get focused to do something that I cared about in life. Um, and then even further, what it didn't say in that care 11 thing, uh, and I probably said it afterwards, but I think it got cut off. But when you get a little older in life and a little less selfish, hopefully if things are going well, these people that helped me and have helped me so many years, you know, I want their effort to be worth it. You know, if they're going to sacrifice their time and do something for me, uh, I want their effort to be worth it as well. So, you know, that helped me to keep my focus to do something and to continue to do something that, that matters. Sure. If there's one piece of advice you could give out to a college student right now, what would it be? Hmm. You get yeah. write a book about it, the nine tips. So you can always just oh, face and life challenges. Um, you know, I, I would just try to keep that focus. Well, I, John knows from my class, I always, as far as if you're in the business world or whatever, I say, think entrepreneurial. But it is to keep that focus, to do something that matters. Um, so you chose a major. Is it what you want to do in your life? You may have chose it and you decided, I really don't like this, but maybe you've gone down that road too much. But, you know, what people my age would tell you um, is that, the windows of opportunity to do something different close as you get older. You know, you have kids, they need braces, they want to play hockey, you have a spouse, you don't have the luxury to quit your job and follow your dream. If I, you know, had a wife and kids, I don't know if I could have left uh, Wall Street to come back here. I took a over 85% pay cut. And uh, most wow. most uh, families don't want to live on a floor with, with right. 60 you know, to uh, 18-year-old boys. So, but I was fortunate that, uh, that I just have myself to worry about. But that piece of advice would be stay focused, listen to yourself, you know, uh, because you want your life. You don't want to wake up for, at age 40 and realize I'm not happy with where my life went. So if you can work on it, stay cognizant of it, stay focused when you're young, you might have a better chance of ending up where somewhere you're thrilled when you're older. I have one question real quick before mm-hmm. you know we wrap things up. So, like I said, or, you know, like we've been talking about the whole time. So I keep getting away from the mic. <laughs> I just realized that I don't know why I do that. Um, but no, dude, like I'm looking around and you've literally probably you traveled the world in a year. Fifty different countries, yeah. Over, 50 over fifty countries. different countries so far. But I'm just getting started. I haven't seen a lot of the world. It's I did the math. It depends on how many countries you say there are in the world. But at best, I've seen only a quarter, only 25%. Still, There's a I lot mean, of the world. That's still more than like probably most people. It is. I mean? And Americans don't travel as much as, as many uh, other countries. But mm-hmm. but you feel fulfilled here, you said. so, mm-hmm. And you knew that 10 years before you even came here. 
So I thought did, I did. You thought you did. Yeah, it still oh, took so a risk. Did, and then you tested it, and yep. then you're like. And I was worried. You know, that first year, it was like, this isn't going so well. And I miss New York so much. Mm-hmm. But what I can say at 10 years is, yeah, I, I, at least I was right about that. But, you know, it is one of those things. I thought it was right that I was going to be a partner in one of these firms. Mm-hmm. I thought it was right that I was going to be. Um, you know, stay in Washington, D.C. and have a, a great quality of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is one of those things you have to think about it, try it, and then also uh, be okay with saying, nope, I was wrong about that. That was a mistake. Um, but yeah, this place so, yeah, makes I, me happy. So why, pl- why St. John's? Yeah. Out of any place. It's a great, you know, uh, that's it, why I went different? on this sabbatical and, and traveled to all these places in the state and Benedict monasteries, I'm asking that same question. What is it I love about this place so much? You know, what is it about this Benedictine ethos, you know, that, that is so special that we all talk about? And if I ask you to name, you know, 10 Benedictine values without looking at that plaque on the wall, right. you could probably name three. You know, or five. Probably. You know, and you don't, and you <laughs> <Get> don't, <back. laughs> and you don't know where they came from in this rule of Saint Benedict. So that question of why do I love this place so much, I'm still asking myself. I hope to have this this book about uh, Benedictine values and Benedictine travel and Benedict, to help us all understand a little bit more what this means, as I'm still discovering it myself. But uh, you know, I can't say specifically what it is I love about, you know, St. Ben's and St. John's so much. I just know I do, and I'm still trying to figure it out. Hmm. It's a special, special place. There you go. There you have it. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, Gary's Pizza. (laughs) Thank you. Shout out, Gary's Pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye.